Good afternoon, listeners, and welcome back to the Total Football Analysis Podcast, your weekly dose of all things football tactics and coaching related. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and we have another exciting episode for you all today. This summer, the Women's Euros is successfully whetting our appetites for competitive football. The tournament has been a joy to behold, filled with serious quality on the pitch as well as on the sidelines. However, last summer, it was the Men's Euros that attempted to fill this void. In a post-COVID-19 society, Euro 2020 gave light to a darkened world. There were some incredible matchups and grueling groups. None more so than Group F, which quickly received the cliched nickname of the Group of Death. France, Germany, Portugal and Hungary all took part, battling it out in an attempt to finish in one of the top two places. France, Germany and Portugal are previous winners of the tournament. Not many people gave hopes to Minos Hungary. While Marco Rossi's side did bow out early, they didn't go down without a fight, managing to cause significant damage to both France and Germany, while putting up an excellent fight against Portugal despite a lay flurry from Fernando Santos's men, including a brace from none other than the five-time Ballon d'Or winner Cristiano Ronaldo. One of the men responsible for some of Hungary's excellent performances in the tournament was Giovanni Costantino. Having worked as Rossi's assistant coach at Honda Budapest, Costantino was taken under Rossi's wing upon his appointment as Hungary's national team boss. After the Euros, Costantino stepped down from his position, taking up the role of head coach with MTK Budapest. Now, Costantino has just been appointed as the manager of Casarano Calcio in Serie D. Giovanni has kindly taken time out of his busy schedule as he prepares Casarano for a tiresome season ahead. To join us today as we discuss his time with Hungary, his football philosophy and much, much more. Giovanni, how are you today? I'm okay. I'm enjoying the last days of holiday. And then I will start the new season with uh, my new club. How excited are you to join your new club? You're at Casarano. Yes, Calcio, yes. Like. yes, yes. Casarano, I'm very excited because it's also an important club in Italy. And he's kind of fallen giant uh, and uh, wants to, to go back in a competitive uh, league for the name and tradition of the club. I am excited. Uh, we started the preseason uh, Sunday. And then in one month, uh, we will start the championship. Uh, I'm confident we will make a great championship. We are building a strong squad. The championship is not easy because uh, it's a very tough league. And uh, with many clubs, uh, with fans, a tradition, uh, history. Uh, so I'm excited and I'm really looking forward for it. When you're weighing up whether to move to a certain club or whether becoming the manager of a certain club is, is right for you. How important is it to look at whether the players in the squad fit your ideas about football? You know, are you, are you willing to compromise your kind of philosophy of the game and your game model to suit them better? Or are you more, they need to suit me? But look, uh, I can compare my experience last year in Hungarian League. Hungarian League... Uh... Is uh, not a uh, high tempo league. Uh, so it's a league where uh, you can play football because there are quality players. Also in Italy, there are quality players, but the, char- the characteristic of the league, the skills of the league are quite different. And in Hungary, my game style for MTK was uh, to, to play more the ball, to play more. Uh, strong build up, uh, start from goalkeeper, uh, and uh, was a ball possession, uh, uh, ball possession phase uh, that uh, I didn't want any compromise. So I think uh, we had to play, 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 play. And um, here uh, in Italy is quite different because this is a very fight league. 
and uh, you have uh, to fight press, uh, especially because the pitch is sometimes a bit uh, narrow. And uh, so my game model this season will be much more aggressive than last year. So I can find a compromise in ball possession, but without the ball, uh, we have to press up. We have to not give chance to the opponent to play. And uh, and uh, so this is my idea. My vision this season is a bit different. Uh, I, I adapt myself to the league because it's different culture, different league, different players. Of course, uh, we are choosing the player with the sport director that uh, suit uh, in a very good way with the... Uh, uh, with the mentality of uh, that we want to 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 bring, uh, but um, but we will see uh, this uh, starting point. And then uh, day by day, week by week, match by match, uh, you have to check uh, to to see if the the squad uh, the team answer uh, answers in a good way. If the team answers in a answer in a good way, then you can go forward. If uh, the team is not answering in a good way for many reasons, not because they don't want, but because the what we ask is a bit uh, different of what they are able to do, then you have to find a compromise or something different. I listened to, I think it was last year, Sean Deutsch, the former Burnley manager, was on the High Performance podcast with a man named Jake Humphreys. And in it, he spoke about non-negotiables, essentially things he... And it's not just on the pitch, he was talking more about off the pitch, things he will not compromise on. What are your non-negotiables as a manager? I'm not a negotiation, they're about the behaviour. Uh, the professionalism, the behaviour, the respect, these things are, there is no compromise. Absolutely. There are some rules, so we have to respect the rules. The players have to respect the rules uh, and uh, to follow that. Uh, this is something that I don't uh, compromise. Uh, for technical stuff, uh, I think that uh, my game model is quite uh, accessible to, to every kind of player. I'm not asking miracles. Uh, of course, uh, every player has uh, different skills, different characteristics, and I have to uh, find the best way for, uh, for the players to play, to perform in a, in a, in a certain way, in a perfect way. Uh, honestly, I believe that uh, about this Italian uh, coaching school is one of the top in the world because uh, we are very adapting to any kind of team. I mean, we are very flexible. I see that also some other schools are going uh, forward with this idea to to adapt the team, uh, to adapt uh, that the coach must adapt to the players. That uh, yes, and I think the biggest example is Carlo Ancelotti, that is one of the top uh, manager in the world that is a kind of coach in this way. Um, of course, there are some things that uh, technically I want from the players. I can say mobility. I can see. I can say that uh, I like a team that is connected with each other. With each other, I like that the team play the ball. I like that um, uh, we uh, have organization between two or three players on the side. Uh, I like that we have courage. Uh, these are things that uh, we, we must have. So no compromise about that. But mainly. Um, uh, the problem is that when this, the players have not this characteristic and you have a bit to build the player to go in this way to convince the player that is able to do this so this is a, it takes time sometimes so you have to find some compromise that uh, uh, that you have to find some solution and I, as I say the Italian uh, football coaches I think uh, on this uh, we are very we are very good You spoke there about the Italian school of coaching. What was the difference between that and kind of the way 
coaches operate in, in Hungary. Obviously, you worked at the Hungarian national team with uh, Marco yes. Rossi, another uh, fellow Italian manager. But in terms of when you were at MTK, maybe what was the what was the main difference between Italy and Hungary in terms of how they are teaching their coaches? But look, uh, I can say that uh, mainly I find out that every coach have. Uh, Characteristic, no, have identity, and as you say, there is difficult to find a, a compromise. And I mean, uh, uh, I found many coaches that uh, believe that football is just one. And honestly, I don't believe at all on this. I believe that football is uh, there are many ways to play football, and a coach must be ready, must be able, and must know. Uh, every kind of football because every kind of football is useful also the long ball to the striker is, use, is useful sometimes and you have to organize that as coach even if it's not a stylish football style but if we are ready we have to be ready for that because sometimes you can't play the ball if the opponent come to you and press very hard and very strong the best solution is to organize a ball that can arrive fast on the, on the attacking line and you have to organize that, that part Sometimes I see the coaches that uh, focus just uh, we have to play this, we have to do this, but there are also the opponents. So you sometimes you have to adapt, uh, make some small changes and adapt yourself to the opponent. Also, I see that uh, there are many, many times uh, I hear uh, coaches that uh, think just about the ball possession situation, but I believe that also the not ball possession situation is, uh, is very important. So because... 50-50, sometimes you have the ball uh, and the other time you have the opponent and you have to be organized and understand what you have to do. How important is terminology when you're speaking to your players, when you're communicating with them about certain things you want from them? Because obviously we see a lot of stuff on Twitter and a lot of stuff from when you're reading about football coaching and tactics. People like to use maybe some complex words and jargon and things like that. But I think when it comes to the highest level, I listen to guys like Jurgen Klopp's assistant manager, Pepine Linders. He was talking about how they tell their players to chase the ball when they're pressing rather than saying pressing. So to them, trying to counter press and win the ball aggressively is chasing. And then I was listening only earlier to Stefano Pioli, the AC Milan manager. And he said, he, he basically talked about breaking the opposition or breaking the lines. Now, to me, breaking the lines would be playing a pass and you know, inside the opposition's block, maybe you beat the force line of pressure. But apparently to him, breaking the lines means maybe a centre half stepping out in the defensive phase. And I thought that was fascinating. So how important is that kind of terminology? And well, yes, making it simplistic for your players, I suppose, is a better word. But uh, yes, to the players you have to be very simple about what to explain. But purely say that because in Italy we say to break the line to to start. Because there is a part where you defend together and there is a part where you uh, defend individually. And, uh, for example, when you make a gegenpressing pressing, uh, in Italy is a defensive uh, individual work. Is a gegenpressing pressing, uh, we consider it individual work, even if it's collective work. So break the line means that the defender has to disconnect to other, cent- to other defenders and go to, to look for the ball. But uh, it depends from the, the team, from where you work, because uh, uh, in Italy we have this terminology. But as I said, uh, after two weeks, three weeks, the players start to understand what is your terminology. 
and uh, so it's a very unique uh, way of uh, of talking and uh, it comes day by day you can't go in the dressing room and say this is a dictionary about mm. what i want <laughs> i mean it's day by day is 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 with the work on the pitch the players understand what you mean with the exercise uh, so every coach has his identity his terminology and players uh, day by day understand it i have mine even if i probably i don't recognize but i have mine yeah and uh, players of course understand uh, what i ask to them so in terms of making it simplistic this will bring me on to the question i want to ask now which is about the analysis of the opposition side before a game now of course with, with your new side it's uh, i'd imagine the games are going to be quite thick and fast they're going to there's going to be a lot of games in such short spaces of time but when you're analyzing an opponent and say you're working with analysts how much information are you looking to be fed from them and how much then are you feeding to your players before a game because i'd imagine that obviously when we analyze games there's so much to talk about but there's probably only a small amount you can kind of talk about to your players you don't want to feel well look i'm not a manager of course but i imagine you don't want to fill their heads with a lot of information at one go but um, look what i what i ask uh, when i when i see a match i analyze everything you can imagine ball possession without ball individual uh, i can make you an example very easy you know about communication we played against serbia and there was a dusan tadic uh, that uh, you know very well that playing uh, ajax and uh, this is a player that is very good between the lines. He's a player that when gets the ball, uh, can turn his body, can be very, very dangerous in a deep pass, uh, with a long pass, uh, with quality key pass. Uh, we played the back three, and I remember that we, our central left uh, defender, we have to go a bit aggressive on him. And we say, look, Dusan Tadic has this characteristic. Dusan Tadic comes between lines. He will never attack the space. He will never attack the space. It can happen because he's a fantastic player, but 99% he will come between the lines. So what I ask to you is to go very aggressive on him. So don't be scared because if you see that he's coming back to receive the ball, go with him. Break the line, like say Pioli. Break the line, go with him, and uh, maxi- you can take the ball at first, but maximum he can just control the ball. He can't uh, make one, one, uh, one touch pass or control and play. So go there, even if you make foul, no problem. So this is the message that I give to the players. I know that Tadic do this. I know that Tadic is doing this and why he's doing, because he has characteristics, he has skills, he has a deep pass. But the problem is that I say to the player, no, the problem, the situation is that I say to the player, go between lines and be aggressive on him. Break the line. Don't worry about him go be behind you because he will never go. So this is information that give to the player you understand also on dribblings like the side that the player is going to make a dribbling uh, don't worry the 99% he will come on this way if he come on another way he will do this so this is about the match preparation I don't say Tadic is playing a winger he come inside because the other is going up and this, no I say just look very shortly. Then I know that why he's doing that movement, why he's doing that, what is going to look after he controls the ball. But this is not necessary to say to, to central back. Central back knows that he has to be aggressive because he's a player that is coming there. And 
he went many times there and uh, we we give them this message i give this message to the player that is the most important message because in the moment that the defender doesn't go aggressive on tadic we are dangerous. we are dead because then he turn his body make a deep pass and whatever is falling down so uh, this is what i say that uh, uh short message straight message and uh, uh, understandable message i don't uh, don't have to go too far about the message then of course there are uh, i don't know uh, other instruction that you can give to a player to come uh, more to when we are in ball possession to come more to play because the the defender doesn't follow you or uh, for example there was uh, demiral in tour with turkey that is very aggressive on the man so when you when you have demiral next to you come and make a feint and go deep and take the ball deep because demiral will follow you and will be you take the time to him so these are simple uh, messages then of course about the team let's try to for example if you play against a team that is very scared to behind the line that the central backs are slow you say okay let's go always between the lines always between the lines because the central backs at this club are very very uh, scared of the ball uh, deep so they always go deep and this is the message but i don't say why and this message uh, like straight what we have to do you said there about tarish and demoral are you speaking to decide in them you know when you're talking about the kind of exploit or to nullify Tadish's strengths and take advantage of Demerol's weaknesses. Are you speaking to the group or are you talking to the individual players? Like, would you pull aside one of the central defenders from Hungary and say to them about Tadish, you know, when he drops, go with him and be aggressive or? In general, we did did the individual meeting, not individual meeting, but we split the team into defenders and uh, the defenders and uh, the strikers. So in that moment, uh, we decide, uh, we, we show the characteristic of strikers because maybe Tadic can change position and play on the other side, you never know. So all the defenders know what we have to do. This, uh, in general, is, uh, is the work. So you spoke about when you analyze games, you want to know everything about the opponent. Is that a constant throughout, no, or like, no matter the opposition, whether it's a team that maybe are better than you or, or, or a lesser opposition, is that... You need to know everything about the opponent regardless of their strengths or does it vary depending on maybe you're playing a better side one week or one game and you'll want to know a lot more maybe a lesser side maybe that are down the divisions in the cup per se would you again want to know everything i think that there is no difference i think that uh, is very uh, the the knowledge of uh, opponent is uh, also psychological things and uh, I can tell you that uh, usually when the team is lower uh, about quality and is a match that you have to win, uh, you just uh, focus, uh, especially to the message of the with the team, on the strength of the opponent. I mean, uh, uh, you make the opponent better of what uh, it's it is really like to get the attention of the players and uh, to make uh, more. Uh, uh, more difficult the match that it is, of course, with limits that you have, you are better, but you have to be careful in some situations. Uh, when you play against a stronger opponent, you try to push down the opponent, like uh, to make uh, we can win, we can beat them, because these are the weak points. Uh, you focus more on the weak points of opponents and then on the skills 
of the opponent. So you make the team, uh, the opponent beatable. And it's a very psychological uh, thing, this. And for me, it's one of the, the most important thing in football, the psychological point of view. And this is a kind of trick uh, that a coach must, uh, must do when analyzing an opponent. I want to ask you about training, per se, with Hungary. Obviously, they're not your players. You essentially kind of loan them for a period of time. When it came to training, how much was purely tactical? Did you also do technical training, or was it just all tactic heavy on maybe how they're going to play against one opponent or how we're how you know you want the side to play? Uh, every kind of exercise uh, was uh, made for tactic because. Uh, the time was very short, so every kind of exercise from the warm up until the until the the, the final exercise was uh, about static because you don't have any time to develop uh, technical physical skills, uh, so you have to work just about tactic about um, creating situation with the ball possession or with the positional games uh, about what you are going to face in the in the next match. So everything was about that. 100%. So when you so you worked on the Rossi at club level and then international level was your yes. role exactly the same or did you have Yes. Maybe no, international team is a bit international team is a bit different to the work because uh, I think that in the national team the difference between head coach and assistant coach are not uh, that far like in the club. In the club is different because there is a day, everyday work uh, in the national team, you have to travel, you have to see the players, you have to build a relation with players, uh, you have to speak with players. So it's very, uh, it's a higher, uh, no higher, higher demanding. Even if you don't work on the pitch, but the work uh, of scouting uh, is uh, is even uh, more important. So in my opinion, you don't develop as coach when you are uh, in the national team. That's why mainly I, I left because uh, after three years of national team, I think that uh, at my age it was better to uh, to go to to develop myself in a different role because uh, when you are in the national team, it's a fantastic job. You are feel comfortable, uh, especially when you have good results. Uh, it's very good, uh, very good job, uh, international level. Uh, but have to think also about uh, yourself, uh, what you want, uh, what you what you like, how you want to develop, uh, if you are ambitious or not. And uh, I think at the time I'm an ambitious person, so I always look for challenging uh, me, and um, I try to to develop because during that three years as coach, uh, <laughs> we did in three years uh, I don't know two months trainings in three years. There was also COVID, so one month and a half. <laughs> so if you consider one month and a half, uh, it's not so much to develop. The the work on the pitch and also in the dressing room, you don't uh, develop. Uh, that's why mainly the, the coaches of national team are are uh, are old, because usually the, when they finish the career, they are, uh, they are coach of national team. Speaking of that, Jose Mourinho actually made a, a point in an interview before about that and someone asked him, would he ever become the, the Portuguese national manager? And basically he said, when he's older, because right now he loves how quick and 
fast-paced club level is and that's where he wants to be constantly on the pitch as opposed to as you said, kind of when you're a bit older, you can settle down more. So that's interesting that you said that. The new Manchester United manager, Eric Ten Hag, has Mitchell van der Gag as his assistant. He was also his assistant at Ajax. The two are very different in the sense that van der Gag was very pragmatic and conservative when he was a manager, whereas Ten Hag is very possession-based and attacking. Did you both have a, a similar philosophy on how the game should be played or was it kind of different and that's why I mean people say opposites attract basically you know how was your how did your philosophies combine together but look uh, I started to work in 2016 and uh, I can say that uh, I have a different vision Uh, I was uh, much more offensive much more uh, modern in my way of thinking and my way of working so I try to to give this uh, tactically, you know, be coming from the same school is an advantage. But I'm a no. I consider myself a modern, but not in a positive or negative way. I mean, uh, old uh, can be good uh, and uh, modern can be bad. I mean, uh, modern because I really like to update myself, uh, to study new things, uh, to to learn new things, to try new things. So in both this, I'm very modern because I'm always in progress. The, the coach was a bit traditional and make always the same exercise and make always the same things. Things about more defensively Italian old school. I think that Italian football school develop a lot. So I, I try to give a push about these things. And, uh, you know, from 2016, the results were unbelievable. So I think that uh, this input uh, was a change of something that was, uh, was uh, positive in the long, long term. Who so I asked Rene Mullenstein this last week. He was the former assistant coach under Sir Alex Ferguson about his coaching inspirations. You know the the coaches that he loved watching throughout his years of of watching football to help him develop the kind of philosophy he has now of the game and how he thinks he wants the game to be played. So who are yours? Who are your coaching inspirations that you just have loved? And they don't need to still be coaching. It could be. They could be. I mean, Rene said Johan Cruyff is one of his. So who are yours? But uh, look, in this modern uh, era, I think that uh, you can take uh, something from everybody because uh, Guardiola is the best for ball possession, Klopp for transition. Also, the attitude that he has with players, the positive mindset I like of Klopp because it's very positive also with people outside the football and I like it a lot because it's not like... uh, over the moon and the other are not good, uh, even in the press conference. I mean, he makes the football in a way that uh, is close to the people, and I like it a lot. Manage the dressing room, I think, uh, is uh, Ancelotti, that is top uh, for this. I like also the Zerbi, that is Italian coach of Shakhtar Donetsk, and now he finished with Shakhtar Donetsk. And um, so these are the modern, I mean, coaches that I like a lot. Then there are coaches in the history that I like a lot. Uh, I can say Milutinovic, that was the only coach that uh, participated five times in the in the World Cup with five different nations. I mean, as a, I've worked in many countries and I know how much it's difficult to work in every county. And bring five countries in the World Cup is fantastic. It's like win five World Cups. I like Maturana, that was the coach of uh, Colombia in 1990 uh, for the uh, the football uh, uh, 
the, the philosophy of the, the vision of football, you know, the South American vision of football that is uh, fun, you know, that uh, also... Well, the team that had uh, Rennie Higuita, the goalkeeper in it. Yeah. So he, yeah, he did that famous... Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, uh, Menotti, uh, Argentinian coach, mm-hmm. uh, uh, these coaches that uh, are... Uh, the professionalism of Bielsa that is a very strict coach. I mean, from everybody you can learn something, but these are the main coaches that I uh, that I like. And I remember of Maturana, let's say you live like you uh, you play like you live. And uh, this was uh, this is my mentality in football. Uh, the the way of playing of the team is like you live. If you live like uh, uh, scared, the team. Uh, is scared. If you live like with courage, with enthusiasm, with personality, then uh, you play football in that way. So uh, I like these uh, these words, and I transfer this to the team. Uh, we play like we live. If we are a team of courage people, we play with courage. If we are a team of scared people, we play scared football. If we are a people that believe in ourselves, we play the ball. If we are a people that we don't believe in ourselves, we just kick the ball. So um, these uh, these things are very important for me. And how do you instill courage and self-belief into a side? Because I'd imagine it's a lot easier said than done, of course. You know, maybe a team lack confidence. How do you come in and just, I'm sure, I'm sure just saying to them, let's believe in ourselves doesn't exactly straight away spruce them up. No, because uh, in the trainings, uh, you have to create a situation where the player can believe in what he's going to do. So you have to manage uh, and create something that uh, the player can do what you want that he that he does, and by that then make him stronger, believing that he can do that, and uh, then step by step that the player get confidence and uh, and believe in in you. Then you can ask to him everything. But the most important thing is that the player uh, see. And realize that he can do the things not with the words but with facts. When he see on the pitch that he's able, then he make a stronger uh, believing in, in himself. I was speaking to Jonas Eideval, the Arsenal women's manager, there I think two three weeks ago, and he spoke about using constraints in training. First, I should ask: Do you use constraints in training? And if so, how important are they to your training regime? Because obviously we. We know that, say, Thomas Tuchel cuts the corners off the pitches to encourage more deeper crosses from like the half spaces. So, how would what kind of constraints would you use? I mean, the exercise where come situations that I want to see in the match. So mainly, I put some rules. Uh, I don't say, for example, stupid example. I want uh, that. Uh, uh, usually, I like that the the, the defender. The defenders uh, play the ball just when they are under pressure. So if they don't have uh, the pressure, they have to to go with ball. And I want that in attack, we play fast with few touches. So what I create, uh, for example, a stupid example is to create an exercise where in the half uh, defensive half, the team uh, play without uh, limit of touches. In offensive uh, half, uh, the team has two touches. So we encourage the defenders to play the ball without limits until they have pressure. But we encourage also the strikers to play with few touches. You do the one day, two days, three days, five, six, one month. Then this comes automatically, you know, your mindset will change. 
And as defender, you take confidence to play. And as striker, you try to play with teammates, with few touches uh, to be to be less individual and more uh, more with the team. So this is what uh, what is me is not like to say always what they have to do. Of course, mm-hmm. you have to say you have to say something when something is not going in a good way or in the way that you want. But create the situation, the situations where you force the player to go in the direction that you want that they go. How often would you break training up when it's maybe it is breaking down? Would you step in then and kind of not give out to them but tell them what to do? Would you just let play go on and Uh, maybe speak about it after? I try to reduce reduce, uh, the the time that I, I go into an exercise. I prefer to wait and at the end, during the day of resting, uh, I say what they have to do. Of course, if there is a tactical exercise, you know, you make like one time exercise, then there is a stop because you go back in the position. So during that time, use that time to explain. But when there are ball possession matches, uh, uh, pressing matches, uh, these kind of things, I try to not uh, to not uh, say something because I want that uh, the tempo is not going uh, down. And I try to put always uh, balls uh, in the pitch to cut also the time that the ball goes up yeah. out because I want that the team uh, uh, we don't uh, stop or we put down the tempo. As a manager, are you very present on the pitch in terms of when yes. when, when they're, they're training? Because Rene Mjolnir last week said that Sir Alex Ferguson would obviously go off somewhere and everyone else would take it. But are you like very? Guardiola-esque in terms of you being there, you take the drills, or would you maybe observe from a bit of a distance? No, no, I I go into the the exercise. I'm not uh, just uh, looking and these things. But this is a mainly a philosophy that there are just in UK. Uh, in Italy, we, we don't have this. It's very difficult to find a coach that is not uh, on the on the pitch to work with the uh, with the team. And when it comes to planning training, how you know. When would you plan? Would you plan it in the morning? Would you plan in advance? Maybe you plan a week's worth of training, out, a month's worth. You know, how would how would the planning go behind each session? How heavy would it be in terms of the opponent you're playing next? But uh, look, for example, I can tell you that the next next week uh, we started the preseason, and I already did the first week of exercises because. In my mind, I know what we have to do and what we need. And then there are always small changes, also small changes in case uh, we have a different number of players. Because for me, change one player means change uh, everything. Because uh, change one player, I believe that uh, my exercises are very specific. And the change one player means uh, change exercise and the sense of exercise. So for me, one week, uh, and I know in one month what we have to do, but I am much more like we have to do this, but then I get feedback from the training at which point we are, what we need, what we don't need. So I change uh, the day before or uh, the week before what we have to do. And Giovanni, there's only a couple of minutes left, so I'd kick myself if I didn't ask. When you were at the Euros last summer, you got some. I mean, you guys got some fantastic results. The the one I'll draw with the world champions, France, of course, was incredible. I remember watching at the time. Obviously, you drew with Germany. 
and then you you lost to Portugal, but I remember Portugal had a late flurry of goals towards the end of the game. And I'm not just saying that because you're here. I remember it was I don't want to say undeserved. I feel like I did, it didn't fully show the the balance of the game really in terms of I don't think Portugal created that many opportunities. You were really good when you're playing teams like that. How how much did you have to compromise your own Hungary's game principles? When you're coming up against guys like, I mean, obviously you came up against Cristiano Ronaldo, you came up against Antoine Griezmann, Paul Pogba, etc. How much would you have to have to compromise your own game model as a maybe how you would play against lesser opposition to play these guys? But look, I can tell you that we played also with Croatia before Wales, and we we won. But uh, uh, but the compromise is uh, the game style doesn't have any compromise. But the thing is that you have to adapt the the movement of the players in the space that you think uh, the opponent can concede you. And uh, so these are the things. But of course, you take care of the ball possession phase or the not, not ball possession phase. You take care also of the set plays because, uh, especially with stronger team, uh, many times you can score by set play. So I, I, I think that, uh, as I think, there is no no compromise. You work to score and you work to not get goal. Mm. And um, I know that some clubs or teams uh, just uh, play for zero zero, but uh, this is not the mentality that I agree. I never play for zero zero. So did you did you tell the players they could win these games even against? That is normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are uh, how you can uh, if you don't believe that you can win, you don't go to play. And when you there play... is always chance to win, even if against stronger opponents, but you have to play in the way that you have one chance. The thing is that the more the the opponent is strong, more you must be f- effective. So uh, you have to understand that you have one chance, two chances, three chances, that in a match for every every team has one chance or two chances. And you have to score in that one or two chances. Incredible. And I just want to ask you as well, just one more question before we finish up, because I'm aware we're coming to the 40 minutes. I don't want to keep you over. Firstly, what are your aspirations for the future? As a coach. I want to be coaching Serie A. And I think that uh, I have the time on my side and uh, Serie A in Italy, eh? because I was already Serie A abroad, but I want to Serie A in Italy. So I have the time on my side. Uh, I need to work, of course, to get uh, this chance that I have now and to make good results because I have an interesting profile for Italy because I am a a young coach and it's very difficult to find the young Italian coaches. I have international experience, I speak languages and now uh, and now it's very important for the coach to speak languages, especially you, because you, you have a lot of uh, foreign players and a lot of foreign uh, owners in Italy also. So my profile is very particular for Italian football and uh, if I make a good job in, uh, in my new club in Casarano, I think I can have a uh, chance to go forward in my career even if now I'm just focusing on the work that we have to do this season and that's actually a really good segue into the last question I wanted to ask you spoke about it earlier but you also spoke about it there the different football and cultures you worked in Hungary you worked in Finland and obviously now you're going to be you're, you're working in Italy how dif- how difficult is it to adapt to the different cultures or, or is it difficult at all for you maybe it's not but how how difficult have you found to adapt to the different cultures? No, I didn't find any difficulties because I'm a very flexible person. So I 
of course there are totally different countries totally different mentality totally different game uh, no game style lifestyle uh, totally different football but uh, my basic idea is always the same to play the ball in the in football to press to to play modern football so my um, football vision didn't change from when I started to to be coach of course you have to adapt as I say to the team as lifestyle I live a normal lifestyle so for me it doesn't change anything you have to understand that some behavior that in some countries could uh, could look uh, strange in some countries are normal so the silent of Finnish uh, in Italy is strange but it's normal in Finland the crazy Italian people uh, are normal in Italy but in Finland are not normal so this is the the reality Giovanni thank you so much for coming on we wish you all the luck in the world for the season here with Casarano and in the future and I hope I hope to God we see you in Serie A one day that would be genuinely phenomenal so thank you thanks so much a for lot. thanks a lot for the interview and uh, thanks for everything lovely have a great week this has been the Total Football Analysis Podcast I've been your host Adam Scully I hope you enjoyed my chat today with Giovanni Come back next week for another excellent podcast. Goodbye for now.